For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, with a big hello to our friends in Louisiana and a big raspberry for FLOP26. Because yes, folks, the 26th Conference of the Parties to the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change, the COP26 of the UNFCCC, just ended with a whimper. As the New York Times put it, quote, with the bang of a gavel at the COP26 summit in Glasgow, diplomats struck an agreement that called on governments to return next year with stronger plans to curb emissions, end quote. And if not, well, COP27 in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt, will doubtless issue an equally stirring cry. Pardon me for interrupting myself, but YouTube did recently limit the ads on two of our videos. We don't know how far they're going to take it, but please do make a pledge, one time or monthly, small or large, so we can keep producing the videos and the newsletter. And now, back to me. Yes, Sharm el-Sheikh. Evidently, these people haven't heard that climate change will soon make much of the Earth uninhabitable, especially the hotter parts. Those beaches full of happy visitors are just a mirage, like the achievements that were about to burst forth in Glasgow. The delegates actually pulled an all-nighter of all juvenile stunts before agreeing to agree later. As the New York Times also said, quote, Global negotiators in Glasgow agreed to do more to fight climate change and aid vulnerable nations, but left crucial questions unresolved, end quote. Like, what to do? How, when, and why they keep saying the science is settled and so is the policy and it's our last chance, and then do nothing. Climate Home News tried to celebrate that, quote, the Glasgow Climate Pact refers to coal for the first time in the UN process, end quote. Yeah, but the pledge was watered down from phase out to phase down, which is a little hard to square with 10 years to save the planet. And Climate Home News also said, quote, it finalizes the most contentious elements of the Paris Agreement rulebook, end quote. But so what? As we demonstrated in our videos on that pact, if everyone met their commitments, the models say it would only reduce global temperature by about 0.1 degrees Celsius by 2100, which is hardly worth wrecking our economies for since it would essentially be undetectable. The NBC headline quote, hanging by a thread, nations strike key climate deal but crisis still looms, doesn't exactly come across as, hooray, we're saved, now does it? The organizers seem not even to have realized that China and India need coal power and won't give it up. So you wonder what else they don't know. As for what else they didn't do, well, again, the New York Times said, quote, Negotiators strike a climate deal, but world remains far from limiting warming. Some activists called the agreement in Glasgow disappointing, but it established a clear consensus that all countries need to do much more, end quote. Yeah, more talking. And we hear that it's nice at Sharm el-Sheikh, where, quote, the Red Sea's warm water is great for swimming, and there are miles of great beaches on Sharm el-Sheikh for working on your tan. But if you're a diver, look no further. We're talking enormous schools of fish and tons of excellent dive sites, end quote. And hors d'oeuvres. But no mass extinction due to heat. And if COP27 fails, well, look forward to more talk at COP28 in 2023 in the sunny, warm United Arab Emirates. And more anger. Barack Obama, the first boomer president, is disconcertingly now 60, but age has brought not wisdom, but petulance. In a speech in Glasgow, he said, quote, time is really running out, end quote, and told angry youth persons, quote, you are right to be frustrated. Folks in my generation have not done enough to deal with a potentially cataclysmic problem that you now stand to inherit, end quote. Look, mate, you were president of the United States for eight years. If you didn't know what to do then, and you still don't, the least you could do in the spirit of humility is to be quiet, instead of encouraging more of the aimless rage on display in Glasgow that was among its most useless aspects. Instead, Obama said, quote, I want you to stay angry, end quote, and, quote, keep pushing harder and harder for more, end quote. 
more. We need more moreness. Thanks for those deep thoughts. Apparently, we also need more of me and less of you, according to British actress Joanna Lumley, famous most recently for hosting TV travel series to exotic destinations like Siberia, India, Japan, and the Caribbean, who thinks you should give up traveling to stop the climate crisis. Channeling her inner Marie Antoinette, she says, quote, maybe more of our holidays should be at home or taking trains and not hopping on a plane to Mugaluf for the weekend. End quote. Okay, we won't. We can't afford to. We had to Google to see where it even was, Majorca, Spain. But she's had her fun, and now she wants to spoil ours. Like George Monbiot over at The Guardian, whose headline writer said, quote, make extreme wealth extinct. It's the only way to avoid climate breakdown, end quote. Whereas Monbiot came from an elite family, went to prep school in Oxford, and had a splendid career with much travel thanks to the extreme wealth of the premier British government news agency, the BBC. And then there's EU Commission President Ursula von der Leyen, who we praised tepidly last week, but whose contribution to decarbonizing the economy was to make 18 of her 34 business trips since taking office in December 2019 by private plane, including one 47-kilometer hop from Vienna to Bratislava, a trip you can make by train in an hour for about 11 euros. Though a spokesperson said there were concerns about using scheduled flights or trains because of corona, apparently forgetting that Ms. van der Leyen had dubbed 2020 the year of the train. And speaking of lavish aircraft, we deniers may have all the money, but those plucky alarmists sure managed to produce some slick videos, including the one where Physics Girl charters a helicopter to show us, quote, glaciers are disappearing almost as fast as you can ski down them, end quote, and then tumbles into an intellectual crevasse. We don't know how often climate alarmists can say that in their particular area, disaster is striking, quote, faster than scientists anticipated, end quote, while maintaining that the science is settled and absolutely beyond question. But this time it was accompanied by an absurd stunt involving whether JT could ski down a glacier faster than it could not disappear but fill a swimming pool with its meltwater. Who cares? The question is whether it's melting faster than snow is being added and whether melt levels are exceptionally high now or whether glaciers have actually been retreating since long before man-made CO2 became a thing. And they have. I did have the good fortune to visit Alaska's Glacier Bay National Park back in 2013, and I was given a cheery brochure about the scenery that inadvertently revealed that the glaciers had come roaring down after the end of the medieval warm period, extended out into the Pacific by the mid-18th century, and then retreated pell-mell by, what's this, 1880? Yep, they were back at the top of the fjords by the time of the Congress of Berlin. What's happened since is just the tail end of this great retreat that's been going on for the last 270 years, so it can't possibly be the result of something that happened 50 years ago, like increasing human GHGs. Something Paul Homewood also noted recently, repeating something that he'd done in more detail in 2019, a history of glaciers. It seems we deniers are constantly checking the facts, whereas the alarmists have moved on to more transcendent things. For instance, the fact that in the hour it took JT to ski and then hang glide down the glacier, the melt apparently filled 22 Olympic-sized swimming pools. He responded, wow, that's fast. But is it? Compared to what? And now, a word from our sponsor. And that's you. Because at the Climate Discussion Nexus, we're dependent upon support from our viewers and our readers. Please go to our donate page, make a one-time pledge, or if you can, a monthly one. I'm not talking a lot of money, though. If you've got it, we'll take it. $2 a month, $3, $5. That's the sustaining funding that we need to produce these videos on our newsletter. And now, back to me. 
In a further particularly egregious piece of unwitting misdirection, Physics Girl also warned that, quote, if all of the glaciers on our planet melted, sea levels would rise by 230 feet. That's the height of a 16-story building. Ooh, like, bummer, man. But she doesn't give us any reason for thinking that they might be doing so. She didn't even mention that only land ice matters, because sea ice is already displacing water, or that most of the land ice is in Antarctica, about 10 times as much as in Greenland, and that far from melting, that continent is getting colder and has been for decades, and just had its coldest winter since proper records began 60 years ago. Undaunted, she proclaims that, quote, already millions of people are being displaced by rising sea levels, end quote. And, playing along, National Geographic decided to whack the penguins again as part of this imaginary meltfest. Quote, an icy world, end quote, it intones breathlessly, quote, is in meltdown as penguin population shifts signal trouble. Marine life off the Antarctic Peninsula needs protection as sea ice declines and fishing boats move in to take more krill, end quote. Okay, how bad is it? Quote, Gentoo penguin numbers on the Antarctic Peninsula have increased rapidly, more than tripling at many sites during the past 30 years, and the birds are expanding south into new areas that had been too icy for them, leveraging their flexible foraging and breeding strategies, end quote. Oh, the penguinity. Now, National Geographic tries to salvage the disaster with, quote, in stark contrast, their sister species, the smaller chinstrap penguins and the sleek black-headed Edley penguins, have declined by upward of 75% at many of the colonies where gentoos are thriving, end quote. But, quote, penguin scientists aren't worried that chinstraps and Adelies will disappear from the planet. Some colonies beyond the peninsula appear to be stable, and some may even be increasing. Wait a minute, the penguins are all thriving? Your headline had us worried for a minute there. Not to be outdone, Associated Press decided to melt the Arctic again and smoke the polar bears while they're at it. Quote, majestic, increasingly hungry, and at risk of disappearing, the polar bear is dependent on something melting away on our warming planet, sea ice, end quote. Then it called this iconic beast the white-hot warming signal for the rest of the planet, end quote. White-hot, white bear, get it? We're all gonna die. Unlike, Susan Crockford keeps pointing out, the actual bears who are thriving. How absurd is this alarmism? Another story says, quote, a penguin has been found starving and exhausted in New Zealand, 3,000 kilometers from its Antarctic home. Scientists have warned that global warming could make this epic voyage more common for the birds as they go in search of fish, end quote. What scientists said global warming would cause penguins to swim to New Zealand? We want names. It also turns out that, quote, only two other Adelie penguins have been discovered in New Zealand, one in 1993 and the other in 1962, end quote which doesn't exactly make for a trend. Still, you better panic because, quote, experts have warned that if the journey becomes a trend for penguins, it could be a sign of trouble, end quote. Not is, could be, if. The absurdity isn't just penguins. The Victoria Times colonist recently profiled a doctor who, back in June, diagnosed a patient as suffering from climate change. The doctor said, quote, she has diabetes, she has some heart failure, she lives in a trailer, no air conditioning, end quote, and her condition was deteriorating, and she was struggling to stay hydrated. Though we do sympathize, climate change is giving us medical problems too, a ringing in our ears and persistent emissions of sarcasm, including on whether heat waves are becoming more common in BC. As Anthony Watts indignantly pointed out, they're not. That heat dome was a freak, not a trend. As for people suffering poor air quality from wildfires, the number of those in BC has been going down since 1990. Draft that climate change. Still, the opportunities for creative death certificates are endless. If someone drowns, climate change made the water deeper, wavier, grimmer, or something. If they starve, climate change is killing crops, just as it's also apparently making kidney stones worse, and poison ivy, and poison oak. And what if faced with all this fear-mongering, someone commits suicide? 
Oh yeah. The same doctor, quote, says he saw a number of patients already suffering from depression or anxiety have their symptoms worsen during the wildfire season, end quote. Soon it will be uncool to die of anything else. Unless, of course, you live in some poor country where they really are struggling to feed themselves, to heat or cool their homes, to cook food with something less particulate-intensive than dung, and then benevolent rich white people come along and deny them affordable energy. Those deaths will not be attributed to climate change. In the newsletter, we also challenge people to look at daily temperature records for North and Western Australia and tell us which is 1920 and which is 2020, otherwise known as the year when everyone had the vapors over a climate emergency. And we also go back to the latest IPCC AR6 report to see what it really said about a code red, nothing, and about whether improbable but severe events like, say, a Pacific Northwest heat dome are becoming more likely. Turns out your guess is as good as theirs. Quote, SREX Chapter 3 assigned low confidence to low probability high impact LLHI events, end quote, to be sure they, quote, cannot be excluded, especially at global warming levels above 4 degrees Celsius, end quote. But of course not, since they've been happening from time immemorial, they're hardly excluded under any scenario. Finally, we look at periodic outbreaks of news stories claiming a massive melt event in Greenland that's all your fault. But a recent study says such events are dramatic, but they're rare and have remarkably little impact on total ice mass. In fact, all the big ones since 2007 contributed only about 2% to all the melting since 2007. As for the rest, looks like thinning clouds again, not greenhouse gases. But don't tell physics girl, or she might fill a swimming pool with her tears. On the other hand, do follow us, support us, share our work, and subscribe to the email newsletter so we can stay in touch in case we get deplatformed. For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson.